I want us to open our Bibles to John chapter 4 and also John chapter 20. John chapter 4 and John chapter 20. We had our first lesson Sunday night, and if you look at this lesson sheet, it's very simple for you to uh, answer as I ask you, how many miracles were in Matthew's Gospel? Does anybody know? In Matthew's Gospel. Look. Okay, 20. How many in Mark? How many in Luke? How many in John? How many in John's Gospel before the cross? Seven. And one after that. Now, you see, you can look at that little sheet there and all this information is there. But I, I would like for when we get through this study, you to realize the simplicity of it and yet the extent of it of knowing. You know, when you go away, after we have seven more lessons, when you go away from this building, you'll say, I know what the miracles of John's gospel are all about. Because they'll be simple enough, you'll understand it. And you probably will know where each one is found and what order they're in and everything like that because it's very simple. Uh, we gave you an introduction last week, but for the sake of many that were not here, let's look at the uh, chart I gave you. If you'll notice that uh, it says John's Gospel tells us how to be saved. In the introduction, his Gospel as a whole tells us how to be saved. And then John's epistles, that especially 1 John, tells us how we know we are saved. See those words, how and how we know, in that first line? Okay. And we have more of the words of Jesus in John's Gospel and less of the works. Then it tells you Matthew has 20 miracles, Mark has 18 miracles, Luke has 20 miracles, John has 8 miracles. Now then it says John's purpose is revealed in John 20, verse 30 and 31. So we ask you a moment ago to turn to John chapter 20. And this, these are two verses that you ought to almost memorize. Uh, and it says, and many other signs, if you have that, John 20, verse 30 and 31. And if you don't want to turn every reference in your Bible, just listen, please, carefully. And we'll try to make it as plain as possible. But it's good if you can turn and see it with your own eyes. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples. Now, a sign is a wonder or a miracle. And then it says, which are not written in this book, but these are written. Look at this, verse 31. But these signs, these miracles, these wonders are written that ye might believe that what? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. So John's purpose is revealed there. He says, I've chosen eight miracles. He knew that, he, he says there that he knew Jesus did many other miracles that's not written in this book. But he says, I've chosen seven before the cross and one after the cross. I've chosen these eight, but especially these seven before the cross show us how to be saved and the results of salvation. And if you look at your chart again, you'll see that uh, he numbers the first two. It says in the last week when we said he turned the water into wine, it was the first miracle that Jesus did. That was in Cana of Galilee. Uh, that's John chapter 2, verse 11 says, This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifest, ma manifested forth His glory and His disciples believed on Him. So that's the one we studied Sunday night. Now then, tonight you'll see that there is a, also a numbering of the miracles. In the fourth chapter, and this is where we'll be studying, turn to the fourth chapter of John's Gospel. 
And look at the last verse after the miracle was done. And it says, this is again the second miracle that Jesus did when He was come out of Judea into Galilee. So that means that if you look at your chart there, He numbers the first two, so that means there's a sequence in these miracles. So that they're in an orderly fashion. The first and the second, John points out, and then He continues on with the others. And there is no duplication of the miracles. You'll find these statements that I make on your chart there. There's no duplication, so we see there's selection. He doesn't duplicate. And there's one overall purpose, so there's specialty. So there is sequence, there's selection, and there's specialty. All these statements are on on your uh, uh, chart. And then it says the first three miracles. Look at capital A under your outline. The first three miracles show us how to be saved. Look at that word how. The first three show us what? How to be saved. Okay, what are these first three? Turning water into wine, and it gives you the reference, but it says salvation is through the Word. And healing of the nobleman's son, that's the one we'll study tonight, this second one. And it says salvation through faith. And then the third one, look on your chart, curing of the Bethesda paralytic, the man that was paralyzed, lying at the pool of Bethesda. And it's salvation by grace. And we won't go through the chart uh, any more than that. But you'll see that those first three show us how to be saved. And down under C, on your outline, the capital C, the last three show us the results of salvation. And just kind of look over at the right-hand side of the, the lesson sheet. The result is peace, under five. The re- result is light and sight, under six. The result is life under seven. So that's the result. Peace, and you have spiritual light or spiritual sight. And then you also have spiritual life. So this is a very helpful chart. But you will get it as we uh, develop each miracle of John's Gospel. Now then, the one thing I want you to see tonight, as we look at the fourth chapter is that salvation is through faith. We've already taught you the lesson of turning water into wine in our last lesson. That was at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. You've had that in the second chapter. And that taught us salvation is through the Word. Remember the servants were to pour in. The water represents the Word of God. And they were to pour that water into these empty earthen vessels. These vessels of stone. And by pouring the water, and that's human hearts, the the hearts and souls of men are like stone. They're hard. And they're also empty, and they need filling. And by pouring that water, or the water of God's Word, into empty hearts, Jesus mysteriously turned it into wine, which is symbolical of the joy of salvation. And so, when we do our work as servants, pouring in the Word of God into empty, hardened human hearts, Jesus is able to take that Word and mysteriously turn that into the joy of salvation for that individual that believes. So what is your business in mind? To keep pouring the Word into the hearts and lives of men. To keep giving out God's Word and God's witness and and preaching the Gospel and teaching our Sunday school classes and teaching our children And the whole purpose of church is to to 
preach and teach the Word of God and to fellowship together and sing praises to God. And I'm glad to see a lot of young people here tonight. They've come for no other purpose. We're not giving you anything, are we? You've come because you want to hear. I trust that's what you want to do. And I would pray that we'd get young people from the children right on up that want to come for one thing, and that is to to worship God, to hear God's Word, and to grow in grace. I was talking to Brother Meek before the service. I can remember when I was a little boy, I went to church because I wanted to hear what they had to say. I wanted to go because it was fellowship with God's people. And they were not always handing me something to get me to come. Now then, it's nothing wrong with you young people having fellowship, and we want you to have, and we will have. And just like the adults, we all have fellowship. But we can do it as a church with all ages. You know, a family consists of babies, little kids, young people, teenagers, and some of them 20, 21 years old, 22 or 3, 25, and then on up to the older adults and families. That, that's a family, isn't it? Well, the church is a family too. And we want every individual from the cradle row right on up. I was talking to a man just uh, yesterday. Uh, some of you may know him, and he's been telling me every time I see him, Brother Joyce, I need to get in church. He went down to Arlington, and his whole family was in church and kind of made him think about it some more. And he's like Brother Wendell. I told him, I started telling him to come down, Brother Wendell and he had talked together. He's been a state policeman and officer all of his life. But anyway, he's not now, he's retired. But he knows, he says, My mama taught me from the cradle roll. On the little back of a little Sunday school card. And most of us can remember that. And I'm telling you, that's the time that we really need to get back to the house of God and and start worshiping God for what He is. He's God Almighty. He sent His only begotten Son that He might save us. And uh, He shed His blood on the cross to redeem us to God. And I trust that our purpose is right. Our motive is right. And then God will answer that hunger and thirst And He'll give you what you need. Now then, we're in this uh, second miracle. Uh, You see, it says, Healing of the nobleman's son. You won't have to look at the chart a whole lot, except it tells you where it's found. In John 4, verses 46 through 54. So turn to John 4. We're going to teach this second miracle. And it tells us that salvation is through faith. And I believe before we get through teaching it, you will see that it is absolutely uh, through faith. Salvation is through faith. Now then, let's begin reading it. Uh, Beginning with verse 46. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where He made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman, now notice this, whose son was sick at Capernaum. By the way, the distance is about 17 miles. And this is very important for the whole of this lesson. Remember the distance Cana of Galilee, and this nobleman was from Capernaum, 17 miles. So remember that as the story goes on. And it says, whose son was sick at Capernaum, which he, when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. The word besought means begged, or it was not just a casual uh, uh Asking, It was a persistent and insistent asking. He's saying, my son is about to die. Jesus, I want you to come down. He says, come down 
Come down to Capernaum. You come to my house, 17 miles away, but you come to my house because my son is going to die. He's at the point of death. A very concerned nobleman about his son. In verse 48, now I want you to notice this. This seems to be a kind of a hardened or casual answer that Jesus gives him. And we know Jesus was not hard. But He wanted him, he wanted him to see something. The man says, come down ere my son die. And Jesus said, then Jesus said unto him, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. This man wanted Jesus to come down. And he says, uh, he wanted Jesus to do something in the way of... Uh, laying his hand on him or lifting him up or whatever, having prayer there at his house. And he says, if you don't come down, my son's going to die. And Jesus says, you know, except you see signs and wonders, you cannot believe. You know, there's a lot of people that cannot take God at His Word and have faith in God's Word. They want to see signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. You remember old Naaman, the, the leper, in the book of Second Kings? Uh, he presented his case, you know, and Elisha. I want to read verse 10 and 11. And when he came to Elisha, the man of God, for his healing, because he was a leper, verse 10 says, and I won't go into all the story because it's too lengthy, but verse 10 says, And Elisha sent a messenger unto him. Elisha didn't even come out. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. He told Naaman, he said, now, he sent a messenger that told him what to do. He just gave him a word, didn't he? That's all he told him. And what did, what did Naaman say in verse 11? But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, behold, I thought. He says, I figured he'd do it another way. I figured he'd do it with a sign or a wonder. I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place. The marginal reference says, move his hand up and down. Do some kind of a magical thing, you know. It's what Naaman was expecting. And then, and recover the leper. He wanted, he wanted Elisha, instead of sending the messenger to come out, he wanted him to come out there and lay his, and call upon his God. He wanted Elisha to pray and then take his hands and move them up and down. It says up and down on the margin. And perform some kind of a, a cure for him. And he was angry because it wasn't like he expected. But all that he was told is you go out there and you wash in Jordan seven times and you're going to be clean of your leprosy. See, wasn't that about the same thing as Jesus was talking about here? Look in our text now. And you have John chapter 4, uh, verse 48. Then said Jesus unto him, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And what happened? The nobleman saith unto him, Look, sir, come down ere my child die. This is a second request. He says, you've just got to come down here or my son's going to die. He thought there was no other way to have faith in the Word of God. And Jesus is about to give him a word. Than if Jesus would come down there, 17 miles away. I want you to notice the next statement. Verse 50 Jesus said, Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way. Now what did he say? I'm going to come down? No, he says, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed what? The word. 
that Jesus had spoken unto him and he went his way. He believed what? The word that Jesus had spoken. You see, the Lord's word is just as powerful 17 miles away or 1,700 miles away as it is if he's standing right there before you. The Bible says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of the soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Jesus knew that His Son was going to live. And He said He healed His Son at a distance. He healed His Son by His Word. But you know, a lot of people go about seeking for something beside just God's promise. They can't rest in God's promise. They want something else. Salvation, and the answer is without works. It's without religion. And by the way, it's without feelings. You don't feel something until you've received it. People want to feel that they're going to be saved before they're saved. Well, when you're saved, then you'll feel it. But you wait you get saved. Some people are looking for the feeling before the, before the faith. You put the faith there and the feeling will come. But see, they want uh, uh, they want visions, they want emotion, they want uh, dreams and signs and wonders and some even tongues and manifestations before they believe. Well, listen, the emotion will come once you put your faith in the Lord. I'm sure that this man, after he believed, he had a, a an emotional feeling of peace, knowing that. He took Jesus at His Word, and He believed that, and I believe there was peace in His heart that His Son was alright. We'll go to the proof of that in just a moment. But remember, He wanted Him to come down. He says, come down, or my Son's going to die. And you know, there's another thing about this. Many people are so uh, unbelieving that they stumble at salvation because God has made it so simple. That God said, you know what, John 3.16, we teach our little boys and girls this from the cradle on up. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, we tell them it's boys and girls, red, yellow, black, and white, they're precious in His sight, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. And we say, that's good enough for a little boy or girl to believe on Jesus. They know if they trust in in God's Son that He sent and they'll be saved. Well, if it's good enough for a little boy, isn't it good enough for a bigger boy and for grown-ups and adults? Because it's the same gospel truth. He gave Jesus to die on the cross that we, we could be saved. He shed His blood on the cross to redeem us to God. He paid the supreme sacrifice. You say, well, they don't understand all that. Well, most of us didn't understand it all either. I was thinking the other night, uh, the missionary that was with us mentioned this uh, uh, vacation Bible school. My wife was saved down in uh, Hagerman in a Presbyterian vacation Bible school. I was saved in a Baptist, the first Baptist church, and I knew it before it was anywhere where it is now. It was sitting right across the circle up here in Riadosa on stilts or on poles. It faced the mountain right there by the restaurant, right in that gully in that vacation Bible school when I was a little boy. Uh, the thing about it is believing the gospel wherever you hear it taught and in the Sunday school or wherever it is, 
and believing it and receiving Christ as your Savior will, is the answer to a problem. We're taught uh, those little verses, John 3.16, and simple verses for children. And we should preach the Gospel in a simple way. Paul said, I believe it's 2 Corinthians, maybe it's chapter 11, verse 3. He says, For as the serpent beguiled Eve, now look, as the serpent beguiled Eve by his subtlety, even so should your minds be corrupted from the simplicity which is in Christ Jesus. The what? The, not, the complication that you find in the message? No, the simplicity which is in Christ Jesus. Some people stumble at the simplicity of the message of the Gospel. What did Paul say? He said to that uh, uh, Philippian jailer, he says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, <coughs> and thou shalt be saved. Isn't that what he said? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And he says, And thy house. Because he knew if the jailer believed on the Lord, he had enough influence that he could cause his, the rest of his house to follow in his steps in faith. After, he, after the experience the Philippian jailer had, remember? Certainly, after that kind of experience, that man had a testimony to say, well, you know, the jail doors opened and Paul and Silas were singing and I was going out to kill myself and, and uh, when I went out to... I was going to, And Paul said, do thyself no harm for we're all here. Don't run away. We're still here in the jail if that's what you want. God opened the, the doors and everything, but Paul said, we're not going to run away. We don't have any reason to leave. God's with us even here in the jail. And so... Uh, the Philippian jailer believed. And the Bible says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Alright, let's go on with our story here. So, <clears throat> the nobleman, verse 49, saith unto, unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. Now, there's, there's a great test that ensues. What's he going to do? Is he really going to rush back home and see if what Jesus said is so? No, he doesn't have to hurry. He's at peace with God. He knows his son is well. He believed his son would live. And I want you to notice, and as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, look at this, it's very important. Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which, in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. Yesterday. Now, that's very important. Remember how far apart Canaan and, and Capernaum were? Seventeen miles. This man, at one o'clock... The seventh hour is one o'clock, right after noon. And the days are pretty long over in that uh, part of the country. But you know, if you had to go on foot for 17 miles, some of us walk on a treadmill, we go about four. Well, I don't know how fast you go. But I usually go 4.1, 4.2 miles per hour. Well, that's, you know, in four hours, you could go that six, 17 miles. If, you was, if your son was dying and you wanted to go home and see how he was, if you had any question about it, you could make it in that. And this was a nobleman. Probably he had horses and chariots. He could have made it in a couple of hours easy. No problem. Just get in that chariot and take off. Or even on horseback. I mean, it doesn't take that long. We used to ride to the top of Sarah Blanca. And you know how 
uh, steep that is to the very top of the mountain. In four hours, eat lunch on top and come back and back home to the stable by uh, 4.35 o'clock. That's straight up the upper canyon. But anyway, you can traverse quite a bit of area in, in four hours. And so that would be well before dark. But they said, when he was going home, his servant said, yesterday, about the seventh hour, the fever left him. And this nobleman knew it was at the same time, listen carefully, that, he believed, that Jesus said that and he believed it. Now what might have, you have to use your imagination just a little bit. If he didn't get home till the next day, and his servants were worried about, well, is, he, is, is dad going to come? Is his dad going to come home? He's leaving. We got good news for him. We've got good news for this nobleman, for our master. And, uh, you know, his servants came out and they met him. They went out to meet him. And as he was going down, notice it says, Now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. We don't even know how far they had to go before they met him. But they were so anxious to tell him about the news. Wondered what happened to him. He stayed all night. He didn't come till the next day. He must have had a lot of confidence that... And a lot of practical faith that what Jesus said was so. He believed the word that Jesus spoke. Use your imagination. Probably since he was in Cana of Galilee, he said, well, i got some friends here. I'll visit a little bit. Or i got some business to take care of. There's no need for me to have to come back day after tomorrow, make this, this trip up here to take care of some business. Because I know my son's all right. Now, if you didn't know your son was all right, you'd head home, wouldn't you? You'd want to see and be there by him. And at least if you had any doubt in your mind, you'd certainly want to be there with, with the one that was at the point of death. But he didn't hurry. And that's evidence that he believed the word of Jesus. It says, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And he knew it was at that hour that Jesus spoke the word. And what? And he had faith in that word. Salvation is what? Not only by the Word of God we taught in the, turning the water into wine last, in our last lesson, but it's by faith in the Word of God. By believing God's promise. God has promised salvation to all who will believe. Now listen carefully. So he probably took care of some business or maybe visited a friend. One of them said, well, can't you stay all night with me? Yeah, I'll stay all night. Early next morning he gets up and heads back home. His servants go out to meet him. And they met him as he's coming. And they said, yesterday is when your son was healed. At the seventh hour. This shows that he had absolute confidence in the word that Jesus spoke. That his son was living. Go thy way, thy son liveth. And he didn't immediately go home. And that is an important point in this whole uh, miracle that Jesus uh, performed on this uh, son that was dying. In answer to the nobleman's request. So what is it? The nobleman, nobleman asked twice over. He says, come down ere my son die. You come down or he's going to die. Jesus said, no, I don't have to go down. That's as much as what he's saying. I don't have to go down. And you don't have to see signs and wonders. And I don't have to put my hands on him. And I don't have to do any other thing. I'm just going to tell you right now, here and now, Mr. Nobleman, your son liveth. You go your way. You can go in peace. You know it's so. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I would take Jesus at His word about everything and wouldn't say, well, I didn't see it. I didn't feel it. I didn't understand it. Well, how did you do it? We don't have to worry about the whens, wheres, and why fors, do we? 
We just take Him at His word. And if God promises you something, brother and sister, young person, whoever you are, He's going to keep His word. And our, our uh, problem is not, is not believing His promise. Our problem is not believing it. Our problem is we want to see something done. Or we want to participate in, in the answer to our problem ourselves instead of turning it over to God. You remember that rich ruler that came to Jesus and he said, uh, he said uh, Good Master, what good thing can I do, I do, notice those words, that I may inherit eternal life. He says, I want to do something to inherit eternal life. Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, and so on and so forth. And he says, I've observed all these from my youth up. All these have I kept from my youth up. What did Jesus say to him? He says, well, then if you want to be perfect, you sell all that you have and you give to the poor. And then you, uh, you'll have treasure in heaven and you come and follow me. And the bottom line was putting... Jesus first. The bottom line was come follow me. Because see, he claimed he kept the commandments. Well, Jesus gave him the last six commandments which have to do with man's relationship to man. He could have started with a little deeper thought and said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And it proved to be that his money was his God because he wouldn't leave it and follow Jesus. Now then, Jesus didn't expect him to go away penniless. But he put him to the test to see who he really was following. And the test was when Jesus said, Come and follow me. Have no other gods before me. Whatever that may be in the way, you turn loose of all of them. And you come and follow me. So, but see, this man, this rich ruler that we're talking about now in another portion of Scripture, Matthew chapter 19, he said... What good thing can I do? See, we always want to do something. Or we always want to feel something. Or we always want the signs and wonders. And Jesus said, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, my question to you tonight is this. Do you have to see some miracle? Do you have to see some sign? Do you have to see some wonder before you take Jesus at His word? It's not necessary. And yet we have a whole multitude of people today going to various kinds of meetings thinking, if I get the right feeling, I'll be okay. Or if I have the right emotion, I'll be okay. Or if I see a sign from heaven, it'll, I'll be okay. You know? And they want to see lightning flash. They want to see uh, neon signs flashing through the sky. Like I heard one young preacher, he said, well, I know God called me to preach because I saw it. It said GP up there. And uh, I said, well, go preach. It might be go plow too. Might it? So, so you better know that God has called you to preach and then get up and preach. That's God's word to you and I, is to get up and preach. Nowadays, we got too many videos and entertainment centers and uh, basketball games to entertain our young people. And there's nothing wrong. you got one over at school. Why do you need one in the church house? And you know, a lot of those things are good in their proper place. But when you come to the house of God, what do you come for? To worship the Lord Jesus Christ and serve Him. And I believe that that agenda is what God intends And I know it's not the popular agenda today, 
but it's what God wants.